Hello and welcome back to Building Better Basketball. I'm Neil Gray, Game Development Manager at Basketball Australia. In today's episode, we're thrilled to dive into the journey and expertise of Sammy Whitcomb, a dynamic force in the world of Australian basketball. With an impressive career spanning both domestic and international, Sammy's unique insights, skills and dedication to the game make her a standout figure in our basketball community. It's a great pleasure for me for her to join us as we explore her experiences, insights and the invaluable lessons she brings to the court offering our listeners a wealth of knowledge for building better basketball skills and strategies. Sammy, congratulations on making the Opal squad and welcome to Building Better Basketball. Yeah, thank you. Super excited to get a chance to chat to you. And yeah, thanks. Really excited to be included in the squad. Sammy, I touched on in the introduction, your journey as a player has spanned different leagues and continents and countries even. When you're back in the WNBL and, and you see the rookie players coming through, starting out their journey, what are some of the strategies or experiences from your playing career that you share with them that you found most valuable in, in developing your skills and, and your mindset? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. Um, my, yeah, my, my professional career has obviously been sort of up and down um, and it's probably not the traditional pathway that a lot of people would want to take, but I think there's so many things that, you know, I can offer from that perspective. And one of the main ones that I would, um, you know, just say to young girls starting up is to just not uh, be afraid of failure and to not let it deter you. And I know for me getting, you know, knocked back from teams or leagues, um, all of that, uh, all of the sort of hurdles along the way have really, really been so instrumental in my growth over the years um, and probably why I've been able to play for as long as I have because um, I really tried to take on, um, you know, the criticism and the feedback and, and sort of the reasons why I wasn't maybe good enough um, for teams or leagues at the time um, and really just use that to fuel me and to try and get better and I think that's my advice to people to not seek out failures, but to really try something, give, give something a hundred percent. If you do come up short, you know, go back to the drawing board and figure out, you know, why and figure out how you can get better and, um, you know, really have a look at your weaknesses. Don't just play to your strengths, you know, don't just get in the gym and if you're a three point shooter, just work on your three point shooting, like have a look at yourself as a you know, a larger, a whole product and figure out ways you can get better. Um, and so, yeah, I think seeking out um, those types of things, not being afraid to be coached. I know so, so many of us are, um, you know, love the praise, but sort of avoid um, any of that constructive criticism just because it, it, it's a shot at the ego, you know, and it can be hard sometimes, I think, to hear those things. But I would say the failures and the feedback and the criticisms and all of that throughout the course of my journey has um, just been really, really instrumental for my growth. Do you think the players coming in now are better prepared for that than you were, Sammy, or just the same? I mean, it's different in different areas. I think when I look at, um, you know, sort of, for instance, college in, in America right now and how easy it is to transfer and how um, how much student athletes are led by, you know, financial, um, you know, benefits, um, as well as I think just the easiest route to playing, right? Like yeah. you never, never saw transfers when I was in college, unless it was like 
you know, something really, really, really big happened. Maybe there was, um, you know, a massive injury or whatever it was, but there was always a really significant reason. And even then you had to sit out a year. So that's how you knew it was like, well, they're, they're really certain that they want to, that they want to transfer. Um, whereas now you want to transfer, you go in the portal, you transfer, it's, you know, you can go to three schools in four years or four, you know, it's, so to me, when I look at that, I think there's no way you could possibly be as prepared as, you know, I was, or the, the student athletes were during my time, because, you know, you did have to endure a bit more hardship and you did have to, you know, sort of just suck it up and play through um, or endure seasons where maybe you weren't getting the playing time you wanted and you had to just get in the gym and work harder and hope that, you know, next year was your year. You couldn't just transfer and go somewhere where, you know, there was an opening for you to maybe play more. Um, and I don't want to, you know, criticize people who are doing that because I have no idea what the landscape is like now. I, I'm very much looking at from an outside perspective, but to me, I just don't see how it could prepare you for really how difficult professional, um, you know, being a professional athlete is. It is very, very cutthroat. Um, and I do think you really have to have that, um, that inner toughness and resilience that I do think, you know, college really did help build for me um, because I did stay there for four years. We had coaching changes. We went through a lot of, um, you know, ups and downs. And I think that really helped. Uh, build my resilience and then I, I definitely know that my first few years overseas helped build that as well so I think um, you know I'm sure there are still some really incredibly tough and resilient kids out there and I have met a lot of them but I do think that the way that the landscape is these days it's it's probably not quite the same as it was before. So you're obviously now a, an integral member of the of the Townsville side and the WNBL who were last year's champions and are many people's favorites to to be involved at the at the business end of this season and obviously yourself you've won a WNBA championship which is an extraordinary accomplishment so you've experienced that championship mindset and you've come into a, a new team this year with that championship mindset what role have you seen in those two examples and, and any others in your career the coaches playing and and instilling that mindset in the team to, to reach that level of success? Yeah, I mean, coaches are a really integral part of uh, championship mindset and championship culture. I think um, with those things, it does. It starts at the top. And I just think there's no kind of way around that. There's You can have players obviously leading that, and you, you need that as well. I think that's just as important. But um, if you don't have it from the top, if you don't have coaches that buy into that, if you don't have an organization that really uh, believes in that and supports that as well and is fostering that, um, I think it's really, really difficult. Uh, so I think that's super important um, in Seattle as well as here. Um, it's, you know, we, we have it in spades for sure. I think Shannon does such a really great job with um, his recruiting and who he brings in. Um, you know, how the systems that he does and how detail oriented he is and how much he uh, really does. Um, he really does embrace the, the team side of it. Like we have some really, really great players, but there's no player that's greater than the team. And um, it genuinely is about, you know, how can everybody be successful together? And um, I think the team successes is way more important to individual accolades um, here as well. And, and there's a lot of buy-in, like I said, from players, because I think Shannon is genuine in his 
um, you know, when he says those things, um, he demands the same of everybody. And I think that's really important too. the accountability is across the board as well. Uh, in Seattle, it was very similar in terms of, um, you know, we had that, that culture. They had that culture for years, obviously, because they had players like Subert and Lauren Jackson back in the day. And then, um, the new players that they brought in. Um, but yeah, the coaching definitely demanded of that, but further than that obviously I think it's the quality of players that those coaches do bring in and that that I do think speaks to how genuine um you know the coaches in the organization are to that culture I think if you're bringing in players that don't align with that or that don't believe in that or that don't sort of you know fit in with that makeup then um I think it does call into question potentially the coaches you know real sincerity with that and you know in in Seattle as well as here um, it was just such high character people and players and um, that really did buy into the systems and to the team dynamics, um, you know, from top to bottom from in Seattle, I, I was, you know, a small role bench player kind of thing. Um, but Sue Bird made me feel so incredibly vital. Um, and that that went such a long way. That went such a long way. You obviously played in the different leagues around the world. And then obviously you're amazing international career with the Opals. I'm just really interested in, in what you touched on there. Do you think a coach is just a coach and it doesn't matter um, whether it's the WNBA with the Opals in the uh, WNBL, or is there something that you and your experience have kind of gone, well, that's kind of a quintessentially Australian coach kind of technique or strategy or style and that's something that's very American is is there anything like that or are our coaches are coaches just coaches yeah I mean I definitely think all coaches you know uh talk about being hardworking. um you know every coach wants someone that uh you know can play defense can play offensively so I think in terms of what coaches are looking for from players I think that's pretty much the same but um, I think in terms of uh, style of play, um, that kind of stuff, I definitely think certainly from an Opal's perspective, but I think as well WNBA, you know, kind of compared to maybe WNBA or even Europe, um, that team dynamic that I've talked about, I think really does stand out to me. Um, there's no, you know, one player that's greater than, you know, the team. Um, and I also think that sort of toughness. I know that's definitely true with the Opals, the, the defensive mindedness, the toughness, that team sort of, you know, you're all, no, you know, no one's, um, you're only as great as, uh, as strong as your weakest link, so to speak, all those types of things, I think really ring true of uh, sort of Australian basketball from my experiences. They're just, uh, the way the players, I think, are coached from a young age, I think that's probably why that is. I feel like defense matters. Um, you know, pace that I feel like you play really fast. We play really fast in Australia. And um, I don't know, it's just, it's a really good brand of basketball, I feel like, to watch play as well. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, coaching is kind of coaching and everybody's coaching, you know, to win. And there's both sides of the ball. You're sort of trying to get the best out of both. And um, you're trying to encourage, obviously, outworking the other team and, you know, all of those kinds of things, I think, stand sure. So I think it's probably more. Yeah, that style of play and emphasis is on, um, you know, team and, and staying together. So with that style of play discussion, obviously you 
you have different roles in both the WNBA and the WNBL and then and then the Opals as well. How do how do I suppose you flick the switch in your mindset about not only adapting yourself to the, the kind of different styles of play, but also how the coach goes about integrating others around your style of play? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer in being the best at your role. Um, I think, you know, roles might change, but you can can be the best at your role. And that's that's your job from team to team. You know, your roles are going to change. And, um, you know, I might be, uh, you know, the eighth man on the WNBA team or, you know, coming first off the bench for the Opals or, you know, then a starter for WNBL and, and having to carry a larger load. Just because that is the role for that team, it doesn't mean you're not capable of doing more. It just means that that is the role that they need you to do to be successful and to be great. Um, and if you want to win and you want to be a part of that group and you do want to contribute, I think you buy into that and you, you, you be the best that you can be at your role. And um, I've seen teams, you know, those, those Seattle teams that won, that's what we had. We had people 100% bought into all of their roles. And yes, yeah, some people had bigger roles and some people had, you know, smaller roles and some people had roles that changed throughout the course of the year, but everybody was so bought into that and being the greatest at their role um, on the day. And um, to me, it's 100% why we won. Um, and I think, you know, that's part of um, Opal's culture as well, because people do come from all these other teams and you know everyone's probably one of the best on their teams but we're asking everybody to come together and not everybody can start not everybody can be you know maybe the main offensive threat or this or that um but we need everybody to be their best at what we're asking them to do what we're asking them to bring and so to your point about you know how do you how do i make that fit or try to fit into the different maybe roles or different styles it's not always easy and it's definitely been a struggle over the years um you know, some places in the WNBA, for instance, early on, I was very much just like a three-point threat shooter kind of player, um, energy player, but very much, you know, kind of just a shooter. And um, so that's sort of, you sort of try to stay not in the box, but you are, that's what I'm trying to bring to the team, even though elsewhere, I know that maybe I'm a bit more of a dynamic scorer. Um, and then, yeah, you go to other teams and, um, you know, maybe you're fresh off of playing the WNBA season where you haven't played consistently or the same minutes the same role and now you're trying to flip that switch like you said back to being a bit more aggressive a bit more of a focal point offensively and like I said it's there's always I think a little bit of um you know of a whatever period where you're trying to adjust and you're trying to kind of get back into whatever the, the role is but I think if you buy into the role and you're committed to being the best in that um I think ultimately you find your way and that's how I uh, you know, sometimes it takes longer than other times. So ultimately, I feel like I normally find my way with groups. Um, it is just, I think about that clarity of the role. And I think that is probably where coaches can be a little bit more um, helpful sometimes. I think just really establishing what that clear role is for players um, and then helping them, you know, be their best in that. If you could go back in time and I won't, I won't uh, put a time frame on it, you can pick at what um, point in your career, but if you could go back and, and talk to a younger Sammy Whitcomb and, and go from the, your college experience through to, through to now, what would you say to a, a young Sammy Whitcomb to become the kind of versatile player 
that you have become, how would how would you tell them with all your experience now how they could foster that versatility that is the, the dream of every coach? As in how to do it sooner or sure, just like sure. what I did to to do that. Yeah, yeah. And like what the what the pitfalls, I guess, that what to what the way to fast track that to become that um Swiss Army knife of kind of being that versatile player that can fill the roles and not be um just happy being in, in your box kind of thing, being uh yeah. comfortable doing that role, but also pushing to to advance themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always for me been been the work, been the prep. I think you can't hide from the hard work. Um, you you get in the gym, and obviously that looks different for different people. Um, I you know I very much lived in the gym throughout my early like throughout college, but then definitely in my early professional days because I did have, you know, I went to a training camp um, my first year out of college. Uh, I wasn't like in the draft or anything like that, but I got a training camp invitation. Um, and I went and it was very clear from like day one that I, I wasn't going to make the team. I was not good enough, but I was going to work my butt off and I was going to learn and just be a sponge and figure out, you know, all the areas that there were, you know, gaps or whatever it was and, and how I could sort of um, fill those and figure it out. And, you know, there was a number of areas, you know, physical strength, um, the IQ stuff. Like I just didn't make reads fast enough. I wasn't a fast enough decision maker wasn't a good enough shooter. Um, you know, there were all these different things. I wasn't, you know, uh, athletic um, enough defensively, a lot of things. So I took all of that and I went away and I worked at it. And like I said to you before, it's, um, I wasn't afraid to fail. I wasn't afraid to not be good enough. Every single day, I think you just have to be in competition with yourself. I think the comparisons with other people and, and there's more of that these days through social media are really distracting. I think it's really, really detrimental to players. Um, I, I still struggle with that. I have to stay off social media or, you know, only follow, you know, certain people and certain, certain pages that I find, you know, helpful and inspirational versus, um, you know, conflicting. Um, and so I think that's part of it. I think it's every single day you're trying to be that 1% better and get 1% better. Um, and it took a long time for me. And I, I, I thought I was fast tracking it. You know, I was in the gym constantly doing stuff and working and, and uh, I played year round, um, all of those things. And, you know, it took as long as it took. And so I think that's the other side of it. Like, again, with that comparison, like your, everyone's journey is different. So I would just remind myself of that and to not be afraid of how long it's going to take. You know, if you're willing to put in the work, I do believe that opportunity will present itself. I think you, like everyone says, you get so, uh, the harder you work, the luckier you get. I think that was very true for me. I think I got so lucky, um, but I know how hard I worked for, you know, those opportunities. And then it's just about being as ready as you can for when those opportunities present. Um, there were things that happened throughout the course of my career that at the time seemed really, really, um, I don't know, like, like it could have really offset my whole, um, you know, trajectory or could have really like just stopped me from continuing. They were some moments that I just was so frustrated by that felt like, you know, this was a moment of like, how badly do I want this? You know, I either keep pushing on or maybe this stops me. And every time I kind of kept pushing on and then they turned out to be 
kind of really big moments that led to other things ultimately that were just kind of on the other side of what felt like a failure. So, um, you know, I'm really proud of, uh, you know, the, the, my path and my journey that I've had. So I wouldn't want to say anything that would change kind of what I did. Um, because I don't think you can expedite anything like it takes what it takes for different people. But I think I would just remind, you know, my younger self to continue to have the courage to pursue my dreams, no matter who says, you know, that they're improbable or impossible, because uh, I just think in the end, that was that has that is what has made mine so, so rewarding. Sammy, last question. You've and when we were preparing for for the episode, you were a bit conscious about uh how you could best communicate your perspective, I suppose, without telling coaches something. And I, I put your mind at ease by saying, I think one of the greatest values that coaches can have is by actually hearing the experience of athletes that have not only gone through it, but lived it and learned it and, and kind of come out the other side. And I think some of the, the things that you've spoken about uh, in this episode will not only resonate with coaches who will see that in their own players, but also probably raise a recognition in coaches of maybe something that one of their players is going through or how they've dealt with a, a player either in the past or currently within their team that perhaps they, they could review and reflect and do differently. So I guess my final question is, as a, as a player who's had all these experiences and and seen, we've only talked about the, the good cultures, I suppose, but there will always be times where you've had coaches whose decisions you've, you haven't agreed with or coaches who have made decisions that have had a negative effect either on individuals or, or the team. What's some of the advice you would give to coaches who are aiming to create like that perfect culture of both individual improvement and success for their players but also that collective achievement for for the team yeah I think you know the coach's job for me obviously there's there's you know so many things that coaches do but in terms of you know for the player I see a coach as you know hopefully this vehicle for helping the players um you know get the best of themselves helping the team being a vehicle for the team to get the best from themselves um which means you have to create an environment for them to be both unsuccessful and successful, be both, you know, to, to experience failures and successes and to, and to figure out how to be okay with both. And I think there's so much from coaches, um, just negativity around failing or losing or not being good enough. Um, and it I think creates these cultures of like, uh, I don't know, perfectionism and, uh, or shying away from the failure, uh, which means you end up not giving 100% sometimes too, because you don't want to mess up, right? Like, oh, you have, you've had turnovers, get on the baseline and run, or oh, you didn't do this right, we're going to you know, punish you with this. You didn't do this, we're going to punish you with this. And I think obviously we want to get the best out of our players and we want to limit mistakes and, and all of those things. But I think by creating an environment where you're encouraging people to, to, to go and give everything they have and to try things that maybe they are working on and they are trying to improve on and that it's okay if you do make mistakes 
Um, so long as you're willing to keep trying and to try and, and try to improve on those improve on those mistakes. And I just think that these days, um, you know, and just even remembering back to college days for me, like I was so terrified to make a mistake because I knew it was going to have some sort of consequence. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's the mistakes of not even the mistakes, you know, there's the not trying hard and not running back on a, on a turnover. There, There are things like that behaviorally that I think you know, as coaches, yes, you do want to be um, strict with and you do want to punish. But I think if it is simply um, a skill error or someone is trying something and they, and, they, and they made a mistake or they did this or they did that, I think that's where it is the job of coaches to help players learn from that, help players not be afraid to do those things, but understanding that like, you know, if you've done it once, how can we help you not do it again? You know, you watch film with them, you encourage them to, um, I think embrace, like I said, the, the, the weaknesses and the strengths that you can make your weaknesses, your strengths. But I just think these days there's too much of, um, just making people feel bad about it, but not, not giving them solutions. It's all just about the problems. This, you're not good enough at this. You're doing this too much. You're not doing this, but we're not solution based enough. We're not helping the kids and the teams figure it out. Um, so I think for me, that was sort of a really long winded way of saying, I just feel like um, if you can create an environment that it's okay to mess up, it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay to, um, I don't know, fail, uh, so long as you're willing to come back every single day, the next possession, the next whatever it is, uh, and continue to compete, continue to try and get better, I mean, that that's where you're going to get players developing, that's where you're going to earn players trust, that's where you're going to get the best out of players, and ultimately the best out of teams, because um, they know that you've got their back, even in those moments. And they know that you're trying to help them get better. And then, and they know that it's okay. You know, I think you need to know it's okay to do this and that, like, it doesn't mean you're not a good player. Um, so I, I hope that there's more of that, um, amongst, um, player development, um, amongst teams, amongst teammates. I think that we need to just be a little bit more understanding and encouraging of each other and, and understand that on the other side of those failures is really, really you know, great success. Thank you, Sammy, so much for your time today. I know you've just come straight out of training and, and jumped onto this and I really appreciate it. So all the very best for the rest of the season with the Tansville Fire, all the very best with the Opals in Brazil and of course, all the very best to your lovely young family as well. Thank you so much. I'm so mad.